I just heard that Exoskin has arm sleeves, so check that out. There's a coupon code in the show links. Also, trainingforultra.com has wraps now. We have a green one and a pink one. Check those out. Very reasonably priced. Three, two, one. Hi, my name is Jordan Fields. I'm a runner from Vermont, now training and running in New Hampshire primarily. You've probably never heard of me, and that's totally okay, but I am most recently known for setting the White Mountains Triple Crown, which is the Presidential Traverse, Pemijawasset Loop, and White Mountains Hut Traverse. If we could just free ourselves of our perceived limitations and tap into our internal fire, the possibilities are endless. I'll tell you about it when it happened in the race, but to be honest with you, it happened even before the race. It happened in the training. A great cause. Oh, thanks. Man. I respect that, man. So you keep doing what you do, it, man. Keep inspiring. Jam Jam, Jamil Curry here from Air Viper Running, and welcome to the Training for Ultra podcast. For all you kids out there, stay safe and stay strong. Hey, everyone, it's the Training for Ultra podcast. Scott Jurek here. This is Tim Sweetmeyer. Run a few Western states in the days. I was physically totally wrecked. I, I had nothing left. I figured I might as well move as quickly as possible towards the finish line if I was going to be moving towards it anyways. How do you even do that? Decided if I could, you know, finish a 50 miler, I could probably run across the country. Right now, I'd say that my beers per day is still higher than my miles per day <laughs> that I'm running. 100 miles is not that far. Hey, this is Carl Meltzer, the Speed Goat, and I want to welcome everybody to the Training for Ultra podcast. Welcome to episode 153 of the Training for Ultra podcast. My name is Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra, and we have a great episode. Jordan Fields, I wanted to thank Exoskin because they have this big sale going on. If you use the promo code t 4 U20. So T the number four U, the number 20. Any order that's over $95 after the discount code will receive a free pair of toe socks. And customers should add a comment how long their foot is. So that's a pretty sweet deal. Check that out. I think initially they were going to use, they're going to give away some skull caps, but they ran out of them. So This is a popular sale for 25% off your order. Just use that promo code. The offer is good until the middle of December. Big thank you to Hammer Nutrition. They saw the virtual treasure hunt and they wanted to get in on it. So for one of the hunts, they offered to give away gold. And maybe you'll have to check out their website to know what products they offer. It's gold standard. So they're actually going to give some free, fairly expensive product away. Excited to include them in a future treasure hunt. If you're wondering what the heck's this virtual treasure hunt, check out patreon.com slash training for ultra. And if you're going to place an order on hammer nutrition, just use the promo code 252888. You'll save 15% off your first order. It might be a referral code, but check them out. Big thank you to both of them. If you haven't tried out a Kogala light, I highly recommend it. It's game-changing when you run at night. It changes a lot of how your brain is processing things just because it's so lit up as opposed to swinging your head around with that little dot. 
So anytime I run overnight or in the dark, this is just a really, really great system. Highly recommend them. Check out the show notes for all the discount codes that I have available for you. Wanted to give a quick shout out to you Patreon supporters. Brian Sands, giant supporter, really appreciate it. David, York Beach Runner, Landon, Pat, Jared, Ray, Todd, Matthew, Scott. You guys have all been huge supporters and that shout out tier. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Let's jump right into it. Jordan, it's great to have you on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time tonight. And having heard you did the Triple Crown, I had to reach out immediately. Um, I, I'm kidding. Alyssa set this I'm, up. She I was going to say, out. I'm pretty yeah. sure that Rob has like a, a keyword search when he gets Triple Crown. Then it just, just ding, 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 ding. Google just pings me constantly with news and updates on Triple Crown. But Jordan, where are you joining us from? I'm in Hanover, New Hampshire right now, where I'm a graduate student at Dartmouth College. Okay. So what are you, what are you studying there? I, I want to hear more about your daily life before we get into you as an athlete. Like, what are, what are you up to right now? I am wrapping up my master's degree currently and just embarking on a PhD. So I'm going to be in the Upper Valley, which is what we call this area, Upper Valley of the Connecticut River, for... The next four or five years and my work is focused on basically trying to understand how we can predict the way rivers change and how they're going to change in the future and so i'm really interested in how is a changing climate which might include more more intense and frequent floods going to play out in river corridors around the world how is changing precipitation patterns in high altitude regions from snow to rain going to affect uh, runoff, water storage, and consequently water resources for people downstream? And so my work is, that sounds very broad. In practice, I spend a lot of my days out on rivers around Vermont, New Hampshire, surveying the river and collecting data on the processes taking place there and its shape over time in hopes of getting a, a signal that we can interpret and, and make sense of. That's fascinating. Um, and your background in that reminds me exactly what Katie Scheid is doing. I think she's out in Europe right now, but I I have to uh, introduce the two of you. Like you're both super quick runners and you're studying, I think she's doing a master's program right now uh, in something similar. Um, so I have to ask you, and I'm trying to avoid running right now. Uh, you have a really cool Instagram account with <laughs> photos that are like, I, I was questioning whether you're a photographer or not. I mean, tell me, tell me about that a little bit. I mean, are you into photography at all? Cause either you're finding the most epic places to, to take photos or, or what's going on there. Yeah, great question. I am a wannabe photographer, I'd say. I would love to have the top of the line digital camera and be, you know, be able to take that wherever I go. But um, I started out in photography in high school, taking a bunch of film photography classes, and I got really into it. And my grandfather lent me a film camera for that class back in the day. And 
being a graduate student, the you know we're not we're not getting paid in sacks of gold, so uh, <laughs> the budget has necessitated sticking with that original camera. Uh, I think it's from 1965. It's a Nikon F. 35 millimeter film camera that I use to shoot film and uh, I like to develop it myself although I don't have access to a darkroom quite as often as I'd like these days and so now more often I send it off to be developed but uh, between my work as a earth scientist uh, which includes travel to cool places quite often and you know this cool vintage camera I, I sometimes get lucky and end up with some some shots that I'm proud of. I I can still remember the smell of like the chemicals and doing that process a lot of times. It it has to be a weird feeling with like your environmentalist background and then like smelling these awful chemicals to develop something that's beautiful and uh, and then combine that with the camera. But yeah, if I have an old camera, I'm sending it your way, man, because you have some (laughs) talent. Um, Alyssa, let. Please get us on track because we're just going to talk <laughs> about uh, studying at Dartmouth and photography all day. I was going to say I'm not much help with the photography part of it because that's that was my concentration too. So I could get us off topic, but um, <laughs> so take us back. Uh, I little well known fact: I think we're on the same relay team for Vermont. Was it that like for like J2s so. or Easterns? Yeah. You were quite a bit faster than I was. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I'd struggled in skiing. But um, I'd love to hear how you got into um, running and kind of your background, too, in cross-country skiing. Because I think, little known fact, us East Coasters have a lot of advantages from our backgrounds in skiing going into mountain running. I couldn't agree more. I think Nordic skiing is the the absolute best jumping off point for almost any sport. You can any, you know, endurance based, aerobic capacity based sport. Nordic skiing is going to get you 80% of the way there. And then you just got to develop whatever technique is required. So um, I guess I'll just give you like a okay, very quick background. I grew up cross country skiing in Vermont. Uh, I skied throughout high school and it was an amazing opportunity to build relationships with people who also enjoyed being outside and pushing themselves. And I really found my groove there and decided that's what I wanted to do. And so I took some time off before college, focused just on skiing in hopes of, you know, maybe making some races in Europe or, you know, seeing where that went. And when it seemed like college is the right route, I went to college at Williams College where I skied for four years on the cross-country ski team there, um, decided not to continue as a pro skier after my time at Williams. Just felt like I was could have gone pro, but was unlikely to uh, make it to the highest level, which is consistently on the World Cup or skiing at the Olympics, which I that's what I felt like I wanted. That was what I wanted to do if I was going to go pro, and that didn't feel realistic. And so I decided to embrace some of these other aspects of my training that I'd always done, but had never been able to give my full effort to one of those being running long in the mountains, which was uh, a weekly activity basically as part of our training in the off season, we just, you just go for long runs on the Appalachian trail all the time. So you're getting this technical running skill, even while the point of it is not 
to be good at technical running. It's just to develop your aerobic base so that you can be fast in the wintertime on the snow. Oh, absolutely. I was going to say, can you walk us through some of that training that you did um, for cross country, but you nailed it. It's just hours out on the AT on the long trail and you just learn that technical ability, which I think is something that's very hard to develop in later years. Um, I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah, but. I, I totally agree. I mean, I think that's one of the, like, I, it's funny. I, I find that I do have some natural talent for mountain running, but it, it's funny because as you say, it was never something that I was like, I'm going to like, I need to get better at technical running. The technical part was always so easy for me. Like I've always been the fastest at running downhill on technical stuff. <laughs> and I attribute it to having run on really technical trails since I was young. And so I, you know, you develop those neuromuscular pathways and so you, you get good at it technically, but I think there's also a physiologic adaptation as well. Um, you know, perhaps genetic, perhaps, perhaps adapted. I'm not sure, but like I can roll my ankle all the time and it's not a problem. Like my, I never, like it'll hurt for a second and then it's gone. I've never had an ankle sprain or anything like that. Um, and I found that I have simultaneously very strong ankles and lower legs from balancing on skis, um, but also flexible so that in a mountain running technical situation, I can throw my leg out. And if it doesn't land quite as I expect, I have the, the musculature to, to like pull my, pull my body back and not let it not fall. I don't fall very often, which I think is, um, knock on wood. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> But I think you, that, that's one benefit for me is that I can descend without a lot of fear. I mean, if we just wanted a downhill technical lesson, that was perfect. I mean, just that's <laughs> an amazing description of, of how to be a good technical downhill runner. Um, and I think that, yeah, I think it's an East Coast thing. And that's where I say East Coast runners are, are awesome runners. <laughs> I'm, I mean... Come on, let's not offend half of our listeners. No. Sorry. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. But I'm thinking about just walking down the stairs two weeks ago with boxes and missing the last step and basically rolling my ankle hard, coming down on it. I'd broken my ankle basically doing the same thing five years ago, but after five years of running, I'm I was running on Monday. Like that happened on a Thursday. So it's almost like the more these muscles are used and strengthened, they can really handle things that normally maybe they shouldn't be. Um, but my last question, I mean, tell me more about your college experience and not going pro and then how that affects you as a runner. Like, are you finding yourself out on the trails more because of that because you didn't take the uh the nordic skiing route you mean from like a training perspective i feel like i have a little catch-up to do or i now have yeah more daily for- life and then how it leads to you becoming a triple crown finisher no i'm just kidding right. um uh, yeah, yeah. your, your fkt Perfect. and everything you're doing is unbelievable i want to hear i want to get to the present Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I've got some thoughts on that. I mean, so the greatest part about Nordic skiing 
is that you cannot do it for half the year. And so you have to cross train. And that is a really important part of my training always has been like, I don't just run. I do a lot of biking. Um, as Nordic skiers, we do this crazy thing called roller skiing where we have short, um, fiberglass skis that have wheels on the end. They're softer than rollerblade wheels. So they're like a little slower to simulate the speed on snow, but I do that a lot. I lift a lot. Um, I think that's something that gives me an edge in the mountains as well. Coming from a Nordic skiing background, strength is a huge component of our training. Um, and, you know, talking about, you know, staying uninjured and getting that adaptation to rolling your ankle or that kind of thing. It's like, I think strength plays a really big part of being a successful technical runner, particularly on the downhills. Just being able to, you know, catch your body over and over and over again as you're really kind of doing something that's kind of acrobatic, at least in the, in the White Mountains in the East coast. I know not all of our listeners are familiar with that terrain, but it's like, I mean, it's like running over a, a pile of Legos sometimes with really, it's like, it's quite technical despite the rap that the East coast gets. So I think coming from this Nordic team background is a blessing because it like cross training is always part of what I do. And I'm not concerned about going out and running, um, as many miles as possible, as fast as possible. I come from a perspective of I base my training on time, not distance. And I think that's a helpful component that I take from Nordic skiing as well, because it then allows you to achieve your training goal, not based on pace. And so that you can, like if, I, if I'm feeling tired, a two-hour run is still a two-hour run. doesn't matter if I ran eight-minute miles or six 30-minute miles. In fact, it's much better if probably if I run eight or ten if I'm on trails. Um, so since leaving the Nordic skiing world, it has been nice to be able to have the flexibility to say, okay, this summer I don't have to worry about roller skiing. Like I can go all in on thinking about mountain running. And that's what I did. But it does give me the flexibility to like seasonally focus. Like right now I've wrapped up my running season basically as we're, we're heading in towards the winter fall here in the Northern New England area. And I'm really excited about skiing. So that's a long-winded answer to your question. But there are a lot of components I take from skiing that I find to be mentally rejuvenating and um, physiologically helpful. Is there a satisfying mental aspect of running the trail like that back and forth kind of almost like the skiing type feel, maybe more of a downhill type feel to it, but how it flows? Like, are you meditating while you run? Like, were you meditating while you were skiing? That is that's a very insightful uh, question because I do feel that way. The best part about uh, what I really enjoy about skiing is that its technique is so important. You, The best skiers in the world are often the most fit, but they are certainly the most technically talented because you save so much energy by being able to glide on your ski longer and just be more efficient. And so throughout my whole ski career, throughout anyone's ski career, even if they're a world champion, every easy ski, you're just focused on technique, focus, focus, focus. And it's kind of nice because it takes your mind off your watch and puts it on where you are right now. And that is what I like about running in the mountains in the same way, because you're running down a technical trail. There's no time to be like, Oh, I have 20 minutes left in this run. It's like, if you're bombing down this hill, it's like every step matters. And you're like, thinking, you know, six, five, 
eight, 10 steps ahead. And you're like, all right, how, how am I going to link this up to be as fast as possible? Okay, cool. I'm going to jump over that rock. There's a branch, swipe that out of the way, like duck, you know, it's just like, I, it, to me, it does feel like it brings, I have to be present. And that is one, that's a big motivation for me to do these FKTs that have become my focus as of late, because I only get that extreme present feeling when I'm, when I'm going my kind of limit pace in the mountains in a technical setting. That's a, that's a great answer. My, my only other quick question before I'll throw it over to Alyssa is, have you ever thought about running in snow or is that like sacrilege? Like <laughs> for, for a, a guy who nearly went pro skiing running in snow, is that something you have thought about doing have done? If you're alluding to snowshoe racing, uh, I have to say that there's no interest there for me. <laughs> Zach, it sounds so painful. I can hear Zach <laughs> Miller from here yelling. Uh, I, you probably have raced with him at some point. Uh, or, or no, you haven't yet, but you... Uh, <laughs> you will, I bet. You should. Um, I'll throw it to Alyssa quick before I get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so going off of that and I, gosh, I can relate so much to what you're saying, um, of the, it, it's almost like a puzzle when you're going down the hill and you never think about how much time you have left. Um, but how did you go from almost going pro to then going after these FKTs? What kind of training were you doing? Did you have a coach, um, and who was kind of encouraging you, uh, to do this? So my, I've always been really interested in the science of training and I've been really fortunate to have a number of excellent mentors as coaches throughout my career. In high school, I had a, an amazing coach that got me into skiing named Nick Mahood. And in college, my coach Jason Lemieux at Williams College was really um, in tune with, with uh, physiology of training. And, and then each summer, I lived in Bend, Oregon, where I worked with Ben Husaby of the Bend Endurance Academy and then with Ben, Scott Johnson, who now runs Uphill Athlete. Scott at that time was a coach with the Metau Valley Nordic Ski Club. And so, you know, we would go to training camps during the summertime in Bend in Northern California. And I just would ride in the car with Scott for like eight hours. And I just take notes on everything he said, basically. And so I, over those years of, thinking about what I'm doing, how am I going to get better at skiing, at um, being an aerobic athlete? I just like kind of picked up on what my feels good for my body and what works for me. And really, it really was like working with Scott was a turning point in my ski career and in my just understanding of myself as an athlete. I, I really think got to attribute him, uh, give him some credit for, for helping me. And so I don't work with a coach directly now. I consult with Scott at Uphill Athlete a couple times a year um, just to catch up with him. And because he's got some really good insights, like from going for a long effort, he's been really helpful in particular about thinking about fueling, which was an unknown for me coming from a Nordic ski world where our longest races are, you know, two in the realm of two hours, but most often less than an hour. So he's been really helpful with that. And I've taken the same principles that we've used in Nordic skiing and just made all of my 
really important workouts, mountain running specific. So I, while I still cross train a lot, I make my intensity sessions mountain running. So for example, as a Nordic skier, I would have done threshold intervals every week, basically. Um, and I would have done them on roller skis on the road. And now I don't do that very often. Instead, I drive 10 minutes from my house to the Dartmouth Skiway, which is a thousand foot climb on the Appalachian Trail. It's a perfect climb for this because it's runnable the whole way, um, but technical. And so I, every week I'll do two to four laps of that at a, at a threshold pace. And I push the downhills as well to work on that technical downhill ability. I think that's a key for me. Um, and so, yeah, just kind of the, the point of that being that it's like the principles are the same and, and I know them. And so I feel like I'm able to coach myself. And so the transition to ultra running or mountain running at least has not been too challenging because I've just said, okay, I'll do the same stylistic training that I've been doing, but now I'm just doing it with, uh, trail shoes on instead of ski boots. So I want to hear what's like your one or two like massive takeaways from that, those long car rides or whatever you wrote down in your notebook and underlined twice. Like, do you have maybe one or two secrets or major takeaways that you remind yourself about daily that you might think are basic, but for us, you know, it might be very insightful. The, the most important one that I remind myself of all the time is that your easy training miles are the most important. An aerobic base is the platform that everything else is built upon. And the get rich quick scheme of going kind of hard all the time is actually the path to ruin. And you really have to be disciplined, at least if your goal is to be aerobically fit. You know, if you're trying to just be a, a 5K runner, then I think you can get away with going kind of hard all the time because it's it's less taxing on your aerobic capacity. Or it's, you're, you're, not, you're not working. You're working above your aerobic capacity most of the time. And uh, so I remind myself quite often, it's like, don't get sucked in. I think we all... I don't know, we all, anyone who uses Strava has probably felt this. It's like, oh, yes. <laughs> uh, you want to show that you're running a fast pace, right? You're like, and pass it off as your easy pace. But I always remind myself, I'm like, that is the, that is the way to get slow, actually, is going kind of hard all the time. And so I often to myself say, keep your hard days hard, meaning do the pace that you have for your intervals, right? You know, bring some mental fortitude for those workouts go the pace do the work complete it as long as your body and your mind feel good but on your easy days keep your easy days easy so keep your hard days hard easy days easy and remind yourself that even when you're running 10 12 minute pace 20 minute pace whatever it is especially if the terrain is hard like you want to be breathing easy that's that's how you're going to get better that's great advice um yeah, we could all <laughs> take that away, especially in the day and age of social media and Strava, where it's so easy to get caught up in in other people's paces. Totally. I mean, I get caught up in it too. I don't want to seem like oh, I don't. me too. It's, uh, <laughs> I I came up with this in this idiotic, crazy idea of going for run without a watch. It was oh my gosh, mind Rob. blowing. 
I did that recently too, and I I like wrote a note for myself afterwards, and I'm like, I ha- I should do this once a week. Go yeah. for a run without a watch to just remember why you run and not think about the, what you're going to name your Strava the whole time. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> and it, I mean, for us middle of the pack, like when you hit something stupid hard, you can hike when you want to hike, and you can run harder when you want to run stupid and like you can be you and like you said remember why you're out there and enjoy it and have fun instead of being self-conscious about segment times even though no one cares (laughs) totally and yeah that's one thing I, i should add about what i just said is like with the hard days hard easy days easy thing is like one part that's been nice about being my own coach since college has been that like if I want to go kind of hard one day I don't I don't be a slave to uh, a training plan as much as I used to be and that's been really freeing to be like you know maybe it's not ideal for me to go run kind of hard today but I have a lot of energy work was challenging I've got a lot of emotional things I need to work through and just running this pace feels right and just like being okay with that like being okay with what you bring to the table is all right. And, you know, kind of like accepting that as kind of part of the natural variation. And it doesn't mean you're not disciplined. It's just we're humans. I love it. Right. I'm all about that. Melissa, what do you have? Um, so I was actually wondering what nutritional advice you picked up going from skiing to longer distances. And it does seem like, and this is probably, this is for later down, but um, you're more four to 10 hour range races. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's still hitting it really hard. Totally. Um, but yeah, man, I feel like that's the 400 meters of ultra running. <laughs> yeah. I, I should yeah. clarify that. Like I, I know I'm on this training for ultra podcast, but I don't consider myself an ultra runner quite yet. Uh, which is funny. I mean, before I did the hut traverse, which I guess we haven't even got to yet. Um, but that 45 mile route with 17,000 feet of climbing, uh, I had never run over like 35 miles in my life, I, but I'd run 30 miles many times. Um, that so counts. yeah, I sh- That's should know that. Like <laughs> 26.21 is an ultra in my book. No, I'm kidding. Perfect. I'm honestly, um, I'm more scared to train for a marathon than I am a 200. So. <laughs> uh, I kind of feel that I know I don't have any interest in running a road marathon particularly. Um, yeah, As even a 50k like a hard 50k that you put your soul into oh that's i mean painful. you're going hard <laughs> i i did a hard 50k this summer and i i will tell you you can go pretty darn fast for most of it and bury yourself pretty hard it felt different than 45 miler for sure <laughs> let's let's hear about that experience i don't i don't want to hear about all the good ones let's hear let's yeah. hear about that what race was it why'd you sign up for it How'd it go? It was actually an F- one of these fastest known time efforts. Uh, it was the Pemigewasset Loop, which is a, a historic and and really popular route in the White Mountains. One of the routes that's considered part of this White Mountains Triple Crown. It's thirty miles approximately, with a little over nine thousand feet of gain, all on trail, and uh, pretty rugged as well. And that was my goal for the year was to set the fastest known time on this route. So I went out to do a recon run in early August with a buddy of mine. And we had decided we were going to, we were going to run it. We we're going to run sections of it hard. 
um, to get a sense of what the the record pace was. I kind of like to do that before I give it a real go so that I can build some confidence and be like, all right, you know, I can run this segment that pace. I think I can piece together a fastest known time if I play to my strengths. And so we set out and did the first um, six or I guess it was eight miles at what felt like a, you know, fun, fast pace, but we weren't killing ourselves. And then at that point, we realized that we were on pace for the record. And I did, I, yeah, I made a mistake. I said, I got greedy and I said, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. And so I talked to my buddy. I waited for him for a few minutes. He was a few minutes behind me at that point. And I said, Hey, Luke, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and try for the record. And he said, sure, go for it. Um, and I, I started running and feeling so good for the next two hours. So I guess, or hour and a half. So the whole route took me five hours, 27 minutes. And so up till about three and a half hours, I was feeling pretty darn good. And like, wow, I went, didn't go that hard in the beginning. I got a lot in the tank. This is going to be easy money. And then I realized I was just totally unprepared for a race effort. And I had not, this will get back to the nutrition question too, Alyssa. Yeah, I had not I jumped the gun got, one. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. This is, we can, I can, I'll wed them together. This is going to work. Perfect. You're point. doing our jobs for us. Dartmouth <laughs> master's degree here at work. <laughs> <laughs> so I had, I had with me uh, mainly fats that day because I was planning to not be going really hard. So I generally feel with fats at lower efforts and sugars if I'm going really hard. So I had like two goos with me, some shot blocks, uh, as my sugars and then i had the peanut butter and jelly and i had two salt tabs and two caffeine pills just by luck in my vest that were there from another time and it was really hot it was 90 degrees and very humid um maybe that's not hot for some of our listeners but for me it's very hot and i was only carrying two 500 milliliter flasks with me because we were planning to just fill along the way and so I did refill my water at one point, but I quickly went through it and feeling really dehydrated, I found that I wasn't able to eat the PB&J. It was just too dry. I couldn't get it down. And I had used my sugars. And so here I was with two hours to go in this effort, 15 minutes ahead of the FKT, just like totally facing down the worst bonk of my life. And I summoned some serious willpower. Like I, I went deeper than I think I ever have uh, on that run, largely towards the end, just to get back because I was actually feeling like I might pass out and I was worried about being out in the woods um, in that state. So I was super motivated to get back as fast as possible. And I held on to that 15-minute lead and, and set the FKT by about that much, but it was – it was costly. I was I laid in this like mountain stream that was just deathly cold for like almost an hour afterwards. Just like wasn't able to eat anything. I just like needed to like get back to some kind of like equilibrium. Um, so I, I mean, in that that was fifty k, and you know the last mile I ran was like six minute pace on on trail, uh, albeit a flat trail at the end, but. So you get a sense for like still pretty, pretty fast. Uh, we're not quite at the, at the 
um, effort that you can just fuel on fats, which I would do if I were doing an effort of like say a hundred miles where you're not getting into that effort zone most of the time, depending on the course, most of the time where you're burning glycogen. But if you're moving at a really fast pace, your body's going to switch over to burning glycogen. And that's why it's really important to have sugar. So back to that nutrition question, when I do these FKTs that are in this four to 10 hour range, which is kind of where I am at this point, I'm mostly fueling with sugars um, because I'm going in a fast enough effort that my body just switches over to glycogen preference um, right away. That said, in the hut traverse, which is 45 miles, I started out with PB&Js for the first um, four hours or so to try to um, start with fats and then transition to sugar just from kind of like a stomach management point. I didn't think I could eat goose all day. So, that's fair. I mean, <laughs> first of all, are we talking six O's or are we talking like high six? No, I'm just joking. Sure. <laughs> I think it was like a yeah. The last one was I'm like six oh six or something. Six oh six. Yeah, low like, six. <laughs> that'd be like me going out for mile time. Um, <laughs> so, did you win that race or like what? Did you you just finished? You said a, a a fast. Well, that that was an FKT, right? That wasn't a race. Yeah, sorry. That was a, clear okay. Not a race. Just okay. me out in the woods, powered only by some sick willpower. Or something wow. else. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm just not used to hearing people digging that deep for something where there's really you don't see a finish line. There aren't people clapping and stuff at the end. Like that's no, nope, no one that's knew awesome. what's going on. <laughs> you uh, you make a good point though. I also was out there wondering like why am I doing this? But something kept me going. I'm not sure what it was. <laughs> And do you do these FKTs supported or unsupported? Like, is this just you jumping in your car going off? Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you were with a friend at one point. That's an important question, Rob, because I, all of my FKTs to this point have been unsupported except for that one. And I okay. intended to do unsupported, but because I had started with my friend, um, not intending to set the fastest known time that day it qualified as a supported FKT because if you are accompanied for any duration during any fastest known time effort, the guidelines are that it has to be marked as a supported FKT, despite the fact that I d didn't take water or food from anyone else. Yeah. That's interesting. Pretty nuanced. You got to tell Luke, like, dude, you got to hang because. <laughs> Luke ran a pretty darn I'm going to do supported. I want, I want you to be there. No, I'm just right. joking with you, Luke. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's great. That's great. So how how about the other two? How did they come about that you were interested in them? Um, and then how did they go? Yeah, the first of these routes that I did was the Presidential Traverse, which is, I think, the most iconic route Definitely. in the East, or at least New I England. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, it is amazing. I really recommend that. I hope that someone or a lot of people from other parts of the country will come to the White Mountains to run because it is such a spectacular place. And, um, you know, they're humble in, in visage, but like really extraordinary by experience. And the, the Prezi is, it goes over eight peaks, um, that are range from, 
4,000 to 6,200 Washington is the highest peak in New England. And uh, it's all in the Alpine, which is rare for New England. So it's a pretty unique route in this neck of the woods. And 18 miles, 8,300 feet of climbing, all very technical. It's a route that I had, you know, made a training goal when I was a freshman in high school. I was like, I want to do the Prezi uh, at the end of the summer. My coach, Nick Mahood, in high school had done it in college and told me it was just an amazing experience. And that um, that first time that I did it with my friend, Jeff Tucker, who I grew up skiing with, I think it took us like 12 hours and we finished in the dark. And I just, I think I have a picture of myself somewhere from that day, just absolutely ruined. Like we walked most of it, but I just had never done anything in that realm of duration and just so wrecked. And that day we had actually said, oh, maybe we can set the fastest no time. And we had like raced up the <laughs> Madison and that respectable pace actually, but that led to just like another historic bonk. And so that, and then we finished, I think the fastest no time at that point was like four hours and 45 minutes or something. And we finished in 12. So you get the point. We were not even close, but it had this, it planted a seed in me of like, you know, maybe I'll go back. And so then last summer I decided that that was the, I was ready um, and I wanted to do it. And so I started doing some of the training I described, thinking solely about this run. And I previewed it twice before I did it because I think knowing the route on these technical routes in particular is really key. You can figure out where you can gain time, where it's better to be patient and there's not time to be gained um, and how you can play to your strengths and so that was September 6th of 2019. I ran it in three hours and 42 minutes. The previous fastest known time was four hours and four minutes. Um, and then this summer, I had made that goal of the PEMI. And then when I, you know, did that kind of impromptu effort and, and ended up with it, uh, I had originally thought, oh, I'll go back and, you know, set an unsupported time on that because I was bummed a little bit that it had been classified as supported given that I'd run with Luke and, but, you know, it rolled around to September and it was getting cooler. And that's when I decided I was going to do it. And I, I just wasn't feeling motivated to go back to a place, uh, that I had had so much suffering on already once this year. So I decided to add a whim a week before to, to give this hut traverse a try. Um, cause I knew that no one had ever held all three of these records at one time. Um, but, also, I knew that I kind of wanted to do something different and challenge myself. And so I wrote myself a note and I said, you know, I'm going to run the hot traverse, but I'm not going to make it about the fastest known time. I'm going to make it about being out there and finding that space that we talked about earlier in the podcast where you are just focused only on running and you're able to kind of let go of those thoughts that are usually kind of running through your head. And I'm going to, I'm going to run it fast, but you know, maybe I'm not going to get the fastest no time. Jeff Colt, the previous FKT holder had set a remarkably impressive time. He'd also worked, um, in the Appalachian mountain club huts. It's called the hut traverse because it connects, um, eight of the Appalachian mountain club huts together. He and has Jeff had worked no Katie Shide. Like I, I'm almost certain she was doing the same thing. I can't believe you weren't working there during summer. <laughs> Sorry to cut you off. I, no, 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 that's great. Shockingly similar backgrounds that you guys have. Yeah, absolutely. Katie, just like Jeff, had worked, they worked together, I believe, had worked in these huts for many summers in college. Um, so they both knew the terrain like as well as you can know it, back of their hand. 
seriously. I mean, they their job as these caretakers at the huts is to um, backpack every day food from the highway, you know, many miles away up the Appalachian Trail or whatever trail it's on to the hut to for guests. And so you inherently become a master of the place. Um, and so my motivation on the run was to also get to know the place better. I had run every section of the route beforehand, but I'd never linked it all together. And I thought this is an amazing opportunity to um, link up all these amazing places I've I've run on one time and, and, and see what I'm capable of. So long-winded answer, but that's how I ended up with the Triple Crown. Before you started that, were you giving yourself a backup plan at all? Was it in the back of your head like, well, if this doesn't go well, I can try it again? Or did, yeah, I hadn't were you really thought of that at all. I had, you know, I I thought it through. It wasn't like I was going in blind. I thought through the splits really hard. Um, Jeff Colt, the previous FKT holder, is an awesome guy, and we had connected earlier in the week and talked on the phone, and he was so generous and kind and offered a lot of advice and support. And so it helped to have that knowledge going in. And so I had, I, I think I knew that on a good day for me, that this was very possible to set a fastest known time, even though it was of a distance I had not run. And, but what I do anytime I attempt a fastest known time is I promise myself beforehand that no matter what, the times is on my watch. If I'm behind, if I'm ahead, my mental state is going to be the same. I'm just going to push myself as hard as I can because that's why I'm here. I do these things because I enjoy pushing myself. I enjoy being out there, getting to know this place. Um, and so I always take some time to reflect before a fastest known time effort and say, you know, this is not only about a record. This is about the experience. And so if that, that day on the Hutchiverse had gone differently and I was, you know, significantly behind at the first time check, that I would have kept going um, in the same way. And, uh, you know, I think there would have been, you know, that's not to say that it would have, it would have been totally monk-like and just unperturbed by being behind. I think I would have been a little bummed without a doubt, but so, I was committed to finishing or what? I mean, Walk us through a little bit of what actually took place out there, because Alyssa and I, you know, we we have a friend, Brittany, that went out after it and seen some pictures of the technicality. It's like totally mind blowing how like I I've run technical stuff. I've run in a bunch of different states and countries, and that's like technicality I've never even dreamed of. Like, I didn't know you could put rock on top of a rock on top of a rock. <laughs> and pile it for a mile like that just didn't <laughs> enter my mind ever i'll just caveat that i believe she went after the presidential traverse um the 18 mile one which jordan is did you get a golden ticket for that no i didn't because i ran it last fall um and no. <laughs> i i thought about going back for the golden ticket but Truth be told, like my motivation on these things is really about the experience. And I had had an amazing experience on the Prezi. And, you know, with COVID going on uh, and with being at Dartmouth, it's like I can't really travel right now. 
so I knew that it was going to be really hard to get um, to be able to go anyway. And I just even if it, they hadn't canceled it and I got 800 bucks, that would have been nice as a grad student, I guess. But <laughs> I wasn't motivated by, you by winning. Yeah, right. That's true. But I, I just wasn't motivated by by winning. I, I was motivated by the experience and I'd had an amazing experience. And so um, if someone goes back and takes the Prezi, I'll be motivated to go back and get it. But for now, um, the golden ticket time was 4.02, so 20 minutes from my, my FKT. Um, so for now it stands, and so I don't feel particularly motivated to go back for it. I'm I'm glad Alyssa mentioned that because I don't want to get it confused. Um, but it, it's on a, it's on the same trail, right? The hut to hut covers right. similar trail. Because I want one third of the hut traverse. You start on the north side of the presidential range at Carter Notch Hut, and you ascend to the presidential ridge run the length of the ridge without summiting all the summits as you would in the presidential traverse drop down to crawford notch and then continue um south towards the Pem- the northern part of the pemigawasset wilderness do part of that pemi loop that i did earlier in the year and then continue past that to finish at lonesome lake hut so that's kind of the outline of the route i, w- I want to hear about the highlights of that fkt like it's it just sounds phenomenal and i also realize when you're in complete flow you don't have that many memories it's kind of weird but do you have highlights of of what took place there yeah that's a good point about the, the not having a lot of memories you really are just kind of existing um but i did have an amazing day out there and i do have a lot of really uh good feelings it was a it was a particularly cold day when I did it. The forecast was for wind chill of negative five Fahrenheit on the presidential range. So that's the other thing. It's like the East Coast gets this rap as like a rinky dink kind of, you know, climate mountain arena. But it's like Mount Washington had the highest recorded wind speed on land ever recorded until a few years ago. It was like 231 miles an hour. Um, and winds up there consistently. I don't know what the annual average is, but I mean, they're consistently in the 60 to 100 mile an hour range. Um, that day. That's dangerous. That's, totally. I mean, I don't. I, I don't could run a 6.06 with that behind me. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Luckily for me, it was, it was like the real temperatures in the teens and there was a 15 mile an hour wind or something like that, maybe gusting to 25. So that's what was resulting in the cold. And in experience, it wasn't that cold up there, but it did make for a remarkably clear day. And one of my favorite memories from the Hut Traverse run was ascending. You start down below tree line. You have you actually start going downhill from Carter Notch Hut, and then you go up the Madison Gulf Trail to get to Madison Hut. And that's like a it's like about a four thousand foot climb. So it's, you're in the woods, just kind of laboring away and then merging up into the alpine zone right by Madison Hut. It was spectacular. The sun was just rising because I had started early enough that I had begun with a headlamp. And it was just crystal clear. And you could see the entire route that I was going to do that day. And I remember thinking, how can it be possible for a human being to go that far in one day? And then dawning on me, oh, I'm the human that is in fact going to run that far. 
Um, so that was really cool to then throughout the day reflect on that. Um, because, you know, later on when you're climbing from Crawford Notch to Zeeland Hut and then Zeeland to the north part of the the Pemi Loop, Mount Goyot and South Twin, there's a lot of time in green tunnel terrain, as, as we call it, which is just, you know, you're not in the Alpine. Uh, there's really thick vegetation everywhere. Um, and it's super rocky. I mean, it's just like being on a Stairmaster with the stairs set at like three foot height. For, for hours. And so in that time, it was really helpful to kind of like reflect on that image I had in my mind of the whole route and then picture myself on it and be like, okay, you know, I can't, I'm not in a place where I can look ahead and be like, okay, I just got to get to that next peak. Like I could only see around the next corner, which was like a hundred meters away. And so in those times, I think it's hard, it's easy to slow down, you know, cause you're not like visually set on your next goal as you would be on a you know, on a 14 or something like that, where you can see everything. But it was helpful to be able to be like, all right, I've got the route in my head. I've got a picture of it. It's clear. It's crisp. It's cool. It's perfect conditions. Um, I'm hurting right now, but I, I can, I can, I know I can, I can just got to get to that next peak that I saw this morning. I mean, Rats. did you take any spills at all? Like you're cruising what? through techy. like I can't, I don't have a, a vocab to describe the technicality of a lot of this. Like, yeah, it's like a mat. Yeah, it is hard to describe because I think it's just such a unique terrain. I mean, it's just roots and rocks all just scattered every which way. I mean, they're not oftentimes in a lot of trails. These rocks have been turned over. In, in the West, for example, the rocks have been turned over to kind of make like a smooth path over part of it. I mean, these rocks are like, imagine placing them in the most difficult to stand on possible position. It's like the points are all sticking up at you. It's like a, it's like running through, uh, like trying to run through like a field of shark fins, basically. Um, <laughs> that's pretty, that's really accurate. <laughs> and I'm scared of sharks. I, so um, I did not take any falls. Um, Really? I was was lucky. I I have fallen on other runs, but I have not fallen during my any of my FKT attempts. Luckily, um, I think partially because I'm just so focused. Um, I find that when I fall is when I'm like my mind goes elsewhere. But when I'm focused, um, so far I've gotten lucky. I definitely have had close calls, um, and I think I had close calls that day that I can remember where you have that feeling where you're like catch your toe on the just the tip of the rock that you saw, but maybe underestimated your legs are getting tired later in the day. Um, but I always was able to catch myself and maybe that's where some of that Nordic skiing comes in because uh, a little bit of balance, a little single leg strength helping me out. Definitely. That makes a huge difference. Um, so for going to the, the hut, how did you feel pushing beyond that 30 miles um, into pretty unknown territory? Um, was your nutrition on point? Uh, were you realizing like, oh gosh, I can, you know, get this FKT? Um, it was, you know, was the trail crowded um, or was it pretty, pretty much you alone? The first part of the day was pretty alone because it was cold um, and it was early. And so I didn't see many people. Uh, later in the day, it got a little bit more crowded, um, but maybe I'll get to that in a roundabout way and get back to the first part of your question. And when I got to the 
as I was pushing through like further than I'd ever run, I found that I was just mentally prepared for it. Like I was like, okay, I've never done this, but for some reason I just had this feeling that, you know, my body can keep doing the pace and I'm asking it. Like, I'm pretty sure I can just keep going. Um, or I'm going to try. And so I just, I just tried and I'm like, I, I luckily had these good splits from Jeff. Um, and so it's like, okay, I know what I have to do if I'm going to get this FKT. So I might as well try. And then if the body is not able to keep up with the mind, then it's not able to keep up and I'll just do what I can do. Um, so I think that mindset of just coming in with it, like I'm going to do the best effort I can do was really helpful in pushing to that new terrain. Cause it was just like, I don't know what I can do, but I'm going to do the best that I can. And so at every moment I was like, you know, I think I can go a little faster. And I, and I was just pushing it. And that said, I was ahead on the splits all day, but it, the record never felt safe. Um, I had to filter my own water, whereas normally you can fill up at the huts, the huts, because I did it a little later in the year, some of them were closed and many had turned off their water spigots due to fear of freezing the pipes. Um, others had were closed because of COVID. So I was not able to take a, advantage of the community aspect of this route, which is normally going to the huts, getting some water and continuing on your way. Um, but I did have, I had a, used a, a water filter and, and one of my friends gave me a hard time. He's like, dude, why did you use a water filter? You should have just done iodine tablets or something, which I definitely should have done in hindsight. Cause I wasted like five or six minutes every time that I filtered water. And so I'd get ahead on the record, filter water, get a little behind. And so I was like out there feeling like, oh man, I'm not sure I can get it. And so that was also pushing me. I was like, I don't know. Like the time checks are also hours apart. I had splits at like major huts, which are sometimes two, two and a half hours apart. So I was like, I could be getting demolished on this segment. And so at every moment I was just like, gotta, gotta keep pushing yourself. I don't know if that really gets to your question. No, Sorry. no, that's, that's perfect. Um, what was the feeling when you finished it? It was, I was really happy to be done. I mean, in, so I, <laughs> I, I had pushed, so the route ending is, there are two really hard climbs up Garfield and then up Lafayette, which are in the Pemiglossett Wilderness. And they're in the woods. Lafayette has like seven false summits, um, which they're in the, you're in the Alpine at that point. You can see the summit further away, but every time you think you're there, you're not. And I pushed really hard up that because I knew I was like, if I just get to the summit of Lafayette, then it's a, uh, you know, a 3,500 foot descent or something down past Greenleaf hut to Franconia notch. And then from there, it's a 1.5 mile climb to the finish of where Lonesome Lake hut is. It's one mile up and then it's half mile flat across this little plateau to then. So I'm like, I got to get to the top Lafayette with all my matches burned and then we'll see what happens. And so that's kind of what I did. And I relied on that. Um, I counted on being able to run fast downhill, even when I was tired, which had been true in most of my previous FKT efforts. But I will say I've never felt worse on a downhill than I did coming down Lafayette. I, that's where the new distance was like really catching up with me. I was like, kind of getting that feeling of like not asking myself to go faster anymore, just asking myself to keep going. Um, and 
then the climb up Lonesome Lake, I started out, I was just power hiking or even less, just like walking. I was like, dang. At that point, I think I, I knew I was going to get the record. I was about, um, I was like, you know, even if I just power hike this, I'll still get the record, but I will only get it by a few minutes. And so I walked the first five minutes of that uphill and then something, I don't know, just like some deep fire turned on and I was like, no, dude, you got it. You can do, you got more than this. And then I started uh, running again and alternating back and forth between running and, and walking. And I just emptied the tank in a way that I never have, uh, besides maybe that Pemi loop, um, getting up to Lonesome Lake Hut. It, it felt like a different emptying in the tank, though. It wasn't like bonking. I was actually just like everything was, the batteries were drained, fully drained. Um, and I mean, I'm still feeling the effort now. So we're, what, over two weeks out now. And uh, I'm feeling pretty good for the most part, but uh, it's a, this is a definitely a more serious recovery than I've ever had to deal with uh, after a race effort. Just like, I don't feel like my normal self and it's probably going to take a little while. So I think that I, I definitely was in new terrain uh, physiologically. My body's telling me that I was. Yeah, you're an ultra runner now. <laughs> Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you guys now you guys probably you guys tell me what i should be doing to, to get back on track now i oh man i'm not the one to listen to on that my my recovery <laughs> methods like i don't know it, it worked for the triple crown but um i mean my last question on this is like when you look back are you like is it like the art side of you that's you know, or maybe like a perfectionist perspective on like, oh, like I could have cut X amount of time off. Or are you just like, I put everything into that. I know I'm happy with that time. Like I'm never doing that again. <laughs> I don't think I'll say I'll never do it again because it was a really great experience. I will say I don't feel um, on this route. I don't feel as... I feel like I really did give it my best effort and I think there might be some time out there for me, but I don't really feel inclined to go back and, and prove that there is. Um, and I think that someone will run much faster on this route and I'm super excited to see them do it. Um, but I feel really satisfied with my effort. I'm really proud of getting to that headspace where, you know, I, I it's not like I wasn't feeling pain. Like I was, there were definitely many moments out there where I was like, dang, I am worked right now. I am totally worked. <laughs> and and every time I was able to be like, no, let's just let's just run this next section. And you know, I was riding that kind of sine wave of feeling good, feeling bad. And I had uh I was talking to myself out there like uh I had my my girlfriend Lucy was out there and a bunch of other people to like cheer me on at the end. And they were like, dude, you were just talking to yourself. Um, <laughs> so getting a little off track here, Hey, but she's still your girlfriend. It's all good. It's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Made it through. I think this, this effort was one that I feel really proud of. And, um, you know, maybe there's time out there. I think there's always time to be improved. There's, you can always improve, but, I don't, I'm not taking the perfectionist attitude on this one. I, I'm I'm feeling pretty pretty satisfied. That's awesome to hear. All right, I'm I'm going to shift gears. Just I know I've taken a lot of your time tonight, and I truly appreciate it. Um, 
I'm going to throw out a random question. If I was massively wealthy and I had a private jet, we could just fly wherever you want to go. Would you pick going skiing in some mountain village or running maybe in a mountain village, maybe in a desert? I don't know. But like, tell me where you are today in terms of your passion and your love. Would you rather go skiing or running and where? I, I don't know if I'm going to disappoint our audience here, but I would go cross-country skiing, honestly. Or, you know, back I've gotten more into backcountry skiing, too. Somewhere I, I would go skiing. Um, I just, there, I, when I'm skiing, I feel completely free. Like, it feels like flying to me. Just gliding on the snow and the the I love the woods in the wintertime where it's just this blanket of snow that's like the deepest silence that you've you've ever experienced when you just stop and all you can hear is your breathing and I love running so much don't get me wrong um, but I just have so many good memories wrapped up in skiing and there's so uh, so many good many you know now decades of good feelings um, related to that that I think. I think that's gonna. That's like where my my heart is. Um, but that said, I don't feel any inclination to race. So if you're asking to go race, I would prefer to go do a running race somewhere. There are a lot of running races I would like to do around the world. Skiing, I've decided is my. That is what. That's where I bring joy from, and it's never gonna be my racing focus again. I'll I'll buy you a beer when you move to Colorado or California. <laughs> I, I, it's a yeah. coin flip. <laughs> so what just quickly what are a few of your future plans are you going to stick to fkts or move more into the racing scene or get into something completely different <laughs> great question um so much uncertainty these days for all of us but i'm really hopeful that next year racing is going to be a, a more tenable activity and racing is so fun i i love the community aspect of it the people you meet while you're out there on course or after the race and it's just very different to me than setting an fkt and fkt is about getting to know a place um and you know doing your homework and and really it's about a connection to the area you're running through whereas a race is um more about you know is being out there and pushing yourself and, and buying into that community. And so I do them for very different reasons. And, and having had this year without a lot of racing, I'm really psyched to race again. So I think next year I'd like to do a little more racing. I think I'll choose an FKT to focus on as well or two, but I don't know what those will be. I haven't really thought about it. Maybe outside of New England, there are some, some routes that have caught my eye and some races too. I, I was going to do the rut this year in Bozeman or big sky and um, I'm hoping to get out there for that next year. I'm, I guess I'm going to have a registration now that it got bumped to next year. So that's on the list. And I mean, it'd be a dream to race in Europe too. So who knows if that's in the cards, but those are all circulating in my mind. Yeah. Like a CCC or something would be perfect. Um, be really. So, I mean, you, you heard it here first, less FKTs and more actual races. I think over the next few months, we're going to hear that from quite a few people, especially as FKTs just get dropped weekly. 
Yeah, it's um, craziness. I, I really think, yeah, the next 30 days, we're going to hear about like 50 of them as all totally. the elites descend. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll end with one last question. I want to hear words of wisdom that you've picked up over your years of endurance sports and share those with someone that's thinking about their first nordic skiing event or first ultra marathon or whatever it might be um what endurance related words of wisdom or maybe even not endurance related but what words of wisdom do you have to share i i think this is is maybe cliche but really important it's like you you've got to keep it fun because there are there are definitely points in any endurance sport or any new activity in general where you're frustrated and it's hard and you're tired because you've been doing it for a long time or you're you're trying to get your technical as some part of your technique whether it be skiing or running dialed and it's just not working um, and you're going to go through those points but I think it's really important to take the long view and remind yourself why you do this. Especially if, like, if you've you've committed to a training plan, maybe you've got a coach. Um, it's easy to be like, I just got to get out there and do this, and then I'm gonna be better. You know, you know, A plus B is gonna lead to C, and it's just like really important for me to always come back to like, okay, why do I do this? And for me, that reason is I do this because it is fun. Like running is so fun, skiing is so fun. This brings me joy. Um, that's a big part of the reason I didn't go pro in skiing, actually, is because during my time after high school, before college, when I was just skiing, I found that I do a lot better when I keep running and skiing and all these activities as my release valve in tandem with being a student or doing work um, rather than being my singular focus. Because when it's my singular focus, it's easy to kind of be searching for that extra 1% and in doing so, making it a little less less fun. So no matter what level you're at, I think there's so much fun to be had and don't lose sight of that um, as you challenge yourself and push yourself to new goals. I think that's amazing advice. Why do it if it's not fun? For sure. Right. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jordan, for coming on. And where can our followers follow you and see some of these amazing photos that caught Rob's attention? I'm telling totally. you, yeah. follow this guy on Instagram. <laughs> Yeah, you can find me at on Instagram. On. <laughs> my my name is J F Fields, um, and on Strava, Jordan Fields. Those are the probably the go to spots to see what I'm up to, and uh, yeah, be psyched to see what all you guys are up to, too. So thank you guys so much for having me on. This has been really fun. And that was episode 153. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Big thank you to Jordan for taking so much of his time. Alyssa, thank you as always for co-hosting. Big shout out to my show sponsors, Hammer Nutrition, Exoskin, Kogala. Big shout out to you Patreon supporters. Couldn't do it without you guys. Check out that treasure hunt if interested. And last but not least, don't forget to enjoy your training. See ya.